Yeehaw, hello, howdy. Thank you for joining us on the Canon Stats Podcast. I'm going to bring the energy up a little bit here because I think this is going to be a fun, exciting uh, podcast. Uh, this is now a, a, a totally, totally weekly Arsenal Analytics podcast. Um, we got a very exciting show talking about all of the the great breaking news in the the transfer window. I'm Scott Willis, and always I am joined by Adam Vogie. Uh, how you doing? You ready to hey, talk some transfer deadline day? I'm fired up. I've been on Twitter all day. Yeah, the, um, the Twitter is a crazy place right now. It's been a nightmare. Um, <laughs> I as bad as as bad as I felt the post Man United uh, friendly preseason exhibition atmosphere was on that absolute hellscape of an app. Um, it's been worse today. Uh, there, there are actually some people who are usually head loss type of people who have been pretty, pretty calm about it. But man, just, I think, I think just kind of like the, the lay person or the, you know, the, just the, the reply guys um, have been very negative today. So it's been a lot of fun or very aggravating depending on your outlook. Yeah. My, my notifications have uh, not been quiet. Um, I haven't tweeted too much. I mean, I, I posted a, a couple things that I think are, you know, relatively milk toast. I didn't think I had any hot takes that came out. I didn't have any uh, Eddie should have passed uh, type tweets today. And, and even then, like, I don't think he should have passed. I was just pointing out a fun hypothetical um, of what might have happened. But people really, really got mad about that one um, and made me consider, oh, maybe I should have had Twitter blue for this thing and, you know, get paid for my uh, dumb tweets well um, but yeah. yeah today has certainly been one of those days if you're gonna if you're gonna be promoting your anti-eddie agenda you really should be monetizing <laughs> which is funny i've got the receipts to show that i have been a, an eddie supporter um going back quite a while uh, quite a ways uh, i think then that you know it was a good idea to resign him that people were being overly harsh on him earlier that you know we, we should give him some kind of slack and everything like i don't know i've been i think more pro eddie than just about anybody um but you know one of the other things too is that everybody's opinion feels like it's um very hit and miss and it's whatever you've done in like the last 30 minutes that really really matter and like that is the the temperature and the agenda yeah and i you know i've been i don't know upper definitely upper tier um eddie supporter for a while um definitely was higher on him coming into the season even than you uh mm-hmm. and uh yeah i've i have found that you know it's great it's really great that people are kind of reversing some of their stances after last season which i really felt a lot could actually be pretty easily explained or you know sort of forecasted in a different way but um yeah but i i do agree with you um and even sometimes i we'll put something out there like, you know, kind of like a pat on the back about, you know, having faith in a player or something. And I'm like, you know, is, is this really any different than what, like the guy who's trying to be first to, to say Kai Havertz can't play in the midfield. And then we'll tweet it after every like six out of 10 or below game that he has. <laughs> um, maybe it's the same thing. I don't know. Has he had a six out of 10 below game yet? I mean, it depends on how you feel about the Fulham game, right? Uh, yeah. I certainly wouldn't say the first two are. I, I literally, speaking of like six out of 10, whatever out of 10 games, I literally had somebody tell me uh, on that app that if he doesn't deliver an eight out of 10 or better in every game, it's a failed signing. <laughs> I so, mean, that, you know, set I, your expectations accordingly. Yeah, I, I think there's something that he comes in with negative, like 
credit in the bank like he's yeah, got totally. to like come in and prove a lot of things to people to even like get to like uh, back to like an even baseline i mean a lot of that is he, he comes in with a. I mean it, it seems like a big price tag but i think in the overall context it's it's not that big um, right. and, you know then he's also coming from the you know a guy wearing chelsea blue so like that automatically just people are very skeptical of the signing yeah. because i mean if you think back to the fulham match I don't think there was anything close to the worst player on the team. Like Saka probably had like the worst 30 minutes I've ever seen him play for Mm -hmm. the team. Um, Martinelli's like final ball was completely off all day. Yeah. There was just kind of like two moments for Havertz that I think really kind of stuck in people's mind. Like it's the, you know, the bad pass and then the not crashing hard on the, the Saka cross across the box which yeah you know, I, I, which that one to me was like the most frustrating because it's like that's kind of what you're doing but you could kind of see when you're on the replays it's like he wanted it you know kind of chipped out to go like headed in and yeah. so it's like there's a little bit of the the miscommunication that i think is going to come where people kind of get to know it but i don't know like those aren't like horrible moments like no they're not i mean yeah i would i would certainly say even just on the left side of the attack he didn't have the worst game um even even if you even if you add these the central uh the center forward to that sample, I still mm-hmm. don't think he had the worst game out of that group. I think I think he had the best game out of that group, honestly. Um so yeah, it's been it's been pretty crazy. And it's And I think that's what's really kind of uh made things even worse going into the transfer deadline day where it's yes. like the emotions were already high because we had, you know, the you know, the classic two two loss. Um, where it really felt like we threw things away. Um, so people were already on edge. And then like the transfer deadline day just like absolutely, I think, brings like the worst like out of people like emotionally. Oh, yeah. I mean, can we just can we just like set the clock back one year? Do you remember which player we were obsessing about last August 31st? It was, was it gonna, Douglas Louise. It was Douglas Louise. Douglas Louise was going to make or break Arsenal's season last August 31st. I mean, I'm sorry. I know he had a good season at, at Aston Villa. I know like, yeah, he was better than I was expecting him to be last season. But even with that, like Intel ridiculous, just ridiculous. Um, it's just, I think, I think, you know, as much as I hate to be cliche, there's just such a dopamine rush about like, I mean, I even admit, like I saw that report, um, out of Denmark about Alexander Ba and like I went and watched watched him play. I captured mm-hmm. some clips. Like just it was partially out of excitement and partially because I wanted to be ready for the site, you know, if if that one was gonna pick up steam. And but I think I think there's just a tendency to like really overrate uh, players when it when it becomes a possibility that you know they could join. Or I mean, you know, heaven knows how many different creators there are. Um who are like, you know, 80,000 followers or more, whose whole shtick is like to fall in love with every player that gets linked to Arsenal. Like, do you remember? I mean, what are we, a month out now from from Adu sending club officials to Brazil to sign Batello? <laughs> like, when are we going to sign him? He's not signed yet. Clearly, clearly we cannot believe everything. And I people were like, I, I saw some people like pounding on the table, like, no, this guy can come in. He can play eight for Arsenal right now. I'm like, did you even know who he was like a month ago? No, you didn't. I guarantee it. The Brazilian Arsenal fans probably did. Uh, so it's just with Kai, it's it's going to be such a friggin' long 
settling in process. It's just he's he's changing a position. He's going back to a position that he was acquired to play for Chelsea. If you look at his like look at his heat map from his first season at Chelsea, he was acquired to play attacking midfielder. Mm-hmm. He came in the same window as as Timo Werner, who was not cheap. And over the years, they kind of learned to lean on him as their least bad option at nine uh, after Lukaku didn't work out. And, you know, now he's taken some time to reacclimate. And I actually think he's done a pretty admirable job. I think he's second among the starters and expected assists. He's definitely second in key passes. And this is for a player who, uh, by all accounts online, um, doesn't do anything with the ball. How do you do that if you don't do anything with the ball? You, it's just not true. So he's he's going to have to score probably a couple of goals to really get people off his back. Some people get so touchy about it, but I mean, they're really, I'll put myself out there. They're really, if, if, if Kai works out to be a great signing uh, for Arsenal, there are actually a lot of parallels to De- to Dennis Bergkamp here, <laughs> uh, including, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> including position uh, because Dennis Bergkamp playing off a striker, basically a number 10 second striker, whatever you want to call it. I mean, the systems are different, but Havertz kind of does that too. Uh you know, Havertz was a was a big friggin' deal in Germany. Uh, Bergkamp was a big friggin' deal in the Netherlands. He signed for Juventus. He disappointed. They hated him. Uh, Havertz signed for Chelsea. He disappointed. They hate him there. And now potentially turn their career around under Arsenal. Uh, and Bergkamp, I mean, there were, you know, you don't, you just Google. There were people around London who were like, this is a waste of money. This was the club record signing at the time. Uh this is a waste of 7.5 million pounds. I think one of the headlines says he plays like a 75 pound player. Uh, so it took him seven games to score and it, he just kind of took off from there. So I don't know, maybe just have an open mind. It's been three games. Yeah. I, I don't think we have enough to say that. I, I think there's obviously there's risk here, right? I, I think that we can all agree that like, this isn't a, a, you know, a slam dunk signing. No signing is a slam dunk. Like there's some that have, you know, less risk than others. And I think this one certainly comes with quite a bit. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I think that, you know, there's, you kind of look at him coming up, he's got the, the pedigree of a, a real prospect that, you know, was really kind of talked about as being like a, a generational, like eight ten hybrid kind of player being able to do, you know, those kind of fun things. I think he never really, yeah, like Chelsea didn't really get to play in his best spot which I think is as like a, a guy that is able to arrive later in the box, play off of a second striker, you know, be able to do those kinds of things, have a little bit more of that free role with other midfielders there to support him. And so it's just like that never quite worked. And now it's what three and a half games. Like, I don't know how much you count the community shield um, as a, a real game, which I thought I thought he actually was really good at the community shield offering yeah. something um, was, very yeah. different than um, Arsenal have seen in the past. And, I think there's a chance that we might see something similar like that against Manchester United on Sunday. Uh, you know, you think about what Manchester United's done so far this season, and it's been a very, very aggressive high press looking to win the ball quickly and transition. And, you know, I think having an option to be able to go long might be something that Mikel Arteta tries. And, you know, you mean, like yeah. it's, so I, I don't think that's something that I would count out right now. Um, and I think that's really interesting to see, like, just overall, I think this goes into do some of the, you know, the squad building perspective. It's like, people want like almost three players in every position, because it's like, well, what if you get an injury, then you're down to one. And I'm like, like, that, that, that just numerically doesn't work. You can't have 33 players in a 23 man squad. So it's no. like, you have to have depth 
and multiple players being able to cover different positions. And yeah, I'm not super comfortable with the overall squad depth, but I think overall we're about as good as we can get right now. Yeah. Well, and can, I mean, can we just, we need to acknowledge that this rhetoric that gets thrown around, like I I know that Tomiyasu and Zinchenko are not the most reliable physically. Um, But I mean, Manchester city, just look at them. Kevin De Bruyne is not the most reliable physically. And who who's backing him up? Julian Alvarez. I know that everybody backing up their striker, right? Like he's trying to back up two positions too. So what happens if Holland gets an injury? Then who plays the creative midfield attacking midfield role that KDB is supposed to play? He's out until what November. Mm -hmm. So it's just you can you can sit and do these this mental math for every club. Liverpool did not sign a backup for Virgil van Dijk. They have no one to back up Trent Alexander-Arnold. This is supposed to be the club that's going to catch Arsenal and pass them up. If Manchester United lose Bruno Fernandes, they are screwed, you guys. Just like if we lose Bukayo Saka to an ACL or William Saliba to, you know, a serious injury, or even, I'm I'm just going to go there, even Martin Odegaard to a serious injury. Yes, the title charge is over. Squad planning does not guarantee uh protection from terrible injuries they happen and if if erling holland goes out and fractures one of his vertebrae tomorrow like yeah city are going to be very vulnerable and if he had done it a week ago you know maybe manchester city being manchester city funded by a literal chic um could go and buy someone that is trading today like I don't even, I'm trying to remember some of the strikers that moved today. I remember Neil Mope moved, uh, but he's a bad example. But somebody better than that? Sure, because they're Manchester City. They've been the best, most successful club in England for a decade. They have the most money. Um, They, you know, they're facing a lot of charges of lying for their money or lying about their money. So I just think, I just think maybe that some, you know, anyone who would have been expecting, you know, like a 40 million pound defender to come in today might have just been missing, missing the real world a little bit and it's not not necessarily unreasonable to expect but you know i said online earlier today it's crazy to me that that there's been 200 million pounds plus in transfer fees two players on 200 to 250 to maybe even more um k per week uh extensions that doubled or tripled wages for guys like martinelli and bukayo saka and william saliba kept ethan waneri uh signed Basically, uh, basically, have already committed to signing David Raya at the beginning of next summer, mm-hmm. and and the narrative is that Arsenal didn't do enough. It is, be- and it's all because of a freak injury that happened. ACL tear is almost always a freak injury. Yeah, like right, like this isn't like a, a reoccurring muscle injury that you would have expected. Like you, know, you should have at least foreseen that this is a possibility, right? Like yep. he, he went into a tackle and his knee twisted wrong. Like that sucks. Like it, it it happens. It's like you can't even like blame the pitch or anything like that, right? This is no. the carpet. This is the best field in all of you know England, and you it's might just be able to blame sometimes... the American pitches depending on who you listen to. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know uh, how one, much. One... Sorry, one other point I want to make, just just on loans um, mm-hmm. and like what what the quality of player is. Uh, so let's just talk about one of our direct rivals who had a bad injury in their back four. It's also going to be long term, a few months. They need help. Uh, Manchester United. Who were their two finalists for their left back loan? Does anyone remember? I'll tell you. It was Mark Cucurella and Who everybody Sven loves and Regulon. <laughs> So and I they signed Regulon. Like- would you feel a lot better about Arsenal's defensive depth if they signed Ben Davies 
on a loan today because I, I, I don't think that I think we would be screwed either way, to be honest. Yeah. And I think there's something to the like you can have like a warm body that's back there. But we've we've just had so many times where we have a guy that, you know, that basically just fills out the numbers that he can do a job like in quotes and like but it's like you never really want to actually see him on the pitch. And it's like, is that better than like like maybe like you know do like rejiggering things or like you know if we think back to like last year like you know we had rob holding come in like and it was fine for like a game or two but like once it got past that it's like would we have been better to like really be like more of like a drastic shuffle um to be able to kind of see things like we did see at the end like we moved kivior out left and we moved you know party to right back and we mm-hmm. saw kind of like a, a prototypical version of what we're doing now but with Jorginho um in the rice role and it's like would that have been better maybe um i I think that there's a lot of times where it's like a player that you don't want to play isn't really depth it's a a guy that's making up the numbers yeah and and we you know one thing i just one i think one point that does stand to be made is that there there was literally a point last season where people were asking like why didn't arteta just try kivior as the right center back earlier Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's because he's he's beholden to kind of his ideas about one left one left footer and one right footer back there. But um, people were literally saying like Arteta should have been using Kivior ahead of Holding. So were we really that close to playing Holding? Should should we really care that he was sold? I, I honestly don't think so. But maybe we maybe this is a good transition to talk about the deals. Yeah, I, I think make. I have one one in the last question. And yeah. It's like, do you think there was a, with the sales, do you think that if we had gotten better sales, like, do you think that would have potentially maybe changed our ability to do one last edition, um, you know, in this last like week and a half, if like we had gotten, you know, some of the the targets that I think we were aiming for? Well, um, I mean, I don't think we really came in that far under most of our targets. So I think, I think what would have helped more is the guy's who for whom we could only find loans if mm-hmm. we could have found a permanent deal for them. So like Tierney, uh, Nuno, Sambi is going to be gone. Um, if we could have found, I think, you know, 10 million for the, for the second two and 20 plus for Tierney. I mean, maybe, maybe that does free it up. Yeah. I, uh, you know, we, I, another kind of conversation I was also having today is I remember when the Raya situation happened and, and Romano described it as um, needing to be done for FFP to make room. And I think the assumption kind of from a lot of people was, Oh, that means make room so that there can be one more deal before the end of the summer. Back then it was Mohamed Kudus is going to come in, you know, be the sack of backup. Um, But what I said at the time, and I, you know, I stand by it is what I want to know is, was that to make room for one more incoming, which in retrospect, it seems like the answer to this is no, or was it to make the numbers work for the summer, mm-hmm. uh, which maybe, maybe it was because, um, you know, I, I think reasonable people were looking at around a hundred million as maybe a good target and had, had a couple of those loan guys been sold. We would have been awfully close. If a couple of those guys, uh, activate their clauses that make deals permanent, we will be close. But, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a question worth asking. Yeah. Cause I think we're, we're looking at roughly, 59, I think. Yeah, like overall. Yeah, so I'm looking here in euros. So at transfermarket.com, uh, our overall net spend is 168 million euros. Uh, you know, 230 in uh, buys, 66.7 in sales, 
there'll be a, probably a couple uh, loan stuff that goes on top of here. So with yeah, with the Sam B one probably coming out here soon. So I think it's a you know a decent. Um, but yeah, let's go through the deals. Um, I don't know. Do you have a? You want to start with the the arrivals here? So I think yeah, sure. the, the first one. The, I think the easiest one for everybody. You know, Declan Rice, great sale or uh, great. I'm sorry, great buy. Um, text, yes. ticks all the boxes that we wanted. Yeah, and we'll put we'll put a link to this in the the show notes. But um, recently, newly posted, uh, I do have a breakdown and grades for every deal. So Declan Rice, I mean, obviously, uh, yeah, it's a great one. I feel really great about. I when I when I got to the bottom of kind of my write up of it, I'm like, okay, I got to give this a letter grade, and I and I said I cannot, in good conscience, give it a straight A. Why? Because it is so much money. Um, and it's such a big contract that I don't think that you can call it risk-free. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think rice is about as risk averse of a signing as you can get having, I think this is his seventh season as a premier league starter. He's 24, uh, you know, England captain, uh, future captain. I mean, West Ham captain, you know, great, great, great personality, obviously a really good player. So I did give it an A minus, um, I don't think pound for pound it's the best signing we made in the summer. <laughs> yeah, but right. Like you're, you're not getting a value here, but I, I think you're getting absolutely a great player. Yeah. Yep. And I, you know, in the in the piece, I do link to a, another thing I had written for Canon Stats already that this was not a deal made to capture value. Like this, this was this is a statement signing, and when that's the mission, you do have to kind of throw some of that stuff out the window. By the way, this is the most we've made in a summer since 2017 on sales, just for what what that's worth. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. I think right, it's that this one has the potential to be a, a you know a really a plus signing, but I mean we really can't make that determination probably for another eighteen you know twenty four months right. to yeah. really kind of get a sense of how things go. But like the you know the what I expect him watching him from West Ham, watching him play with England, I had high expectations coming in. There hasn't been anything that I've seen in preseason or these opening three games that is a massive red flag that changes my mind. Like I'm not going to draw any massive conclusions from that either, but it's like, there hasn't been anything that's making me concerned about this deal that it might not happen. And there's been some really nice things. That I think even in Declan Rice's game that maybe he hadn't shown quite to the same level because just the systems are different. You know, now he's being able to operate in uh, different places uh, more often to be able to do things. So uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, Declan Rice is a, a very, very solid signing. Yeah, maybe mm-hmm. not the best deal, like in the you know the value for money, but absolutely as a player, well worth it. Absolutely, yeah. And I, one of the one of the kind of the last lines in there is that, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully this looks like like stupidly harsh within a couple seasons, and I I don't have any real doubt that it will. So it's just kind of grading from where we stand today. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, next one. I'm going to go by overall value here of the deal. So it's Kai Havertz. Yeah, Kai, so Kai. I mean, we've t- we've talked about Kai already, uh, so I I feel like I can just like hop right into it. I, I gave it a C. Um, I am definitely grading in a harsher sense. I'm I'm looking for better than average to get beyond too far beyond a C. So I think that when you when you roll up kind of what is the mission of the signing, what's kind of like the what's kind of your thesis here? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you trying to accomplish? And um, the amount of money that gets spent, I do think you have to grade it definitely in a more harsh or, you know, I mean, maybe it would have been fair for me to give it an incomplete, but 
I just threw the C because that's average. Um, yeah. I, I do believe in the idea for sure. Um, but as things stand right now, you know, you, you could have gotten a more form fitted player, I think for the idea for the like Arteta's idea. So we'll see. Yeah. And I, and I agree with that too, right? This is uh, one that, again, I've written similar kind of things to it. It's like, if we had, you know, been able to get this as like a steal type of thing of this was like right. a deal that was more like at that 40 million pound price range rather than at the 60 million pound price range, I think the expectations on the player would be a lot different. Um, <laughs> at this one, there's a lot more like, all right, like this isn't like a bet on like, we can turn this player around. Like this is like, we really do just like absolutely think that this is going to happen. Like there's a lot less upside like on this deal um if he does like hit there because we just paid close to you know like the full like market rate for a player like him so like i think that you know goes into the grading thing and they're like well i've I've heard people say it's like well what could we get with like if it was a difference between 20 like five like million like i don't know like that could that that 25 million is not nothing like that is like potentially like we're at the situation now like maybe that is a we get we can fund we can fund a loan um for a player we can do something else like you know to you know a short term like type of thing like so it's like it's not like a a killer sense right in the sense you're not going to get a lot of impact on a 25 million pound player most likely but it's also not nothing I, i like the you know the idea of the player we haven't i don't think seen him at all with jesus and zinchenko which nope. i think has a potential to really elevate what he can do yeah. i've always i've really really liked the idea of havertz playing off of off of jesus because to me jesus is a forward who likes to play midfielder type positions and right. i think havertz is a guy who starts in midfield that likes to play forward type positions and i think that the two balancing off of each other and being able to do it could be potentially very good um very i think fluid yeah and like you know i think jesus was a very good secondary creator for a lot of the things that we did last year and i think that he might have a, a good be able to build a good relationship with havertz natural kind of sense of you know finding space on the back post or finding space in just in the box being able to do things so i'm excited about that and we haven't seen it yet i think the the early returns have been fine like he hasn't been as bad as some people are saying and i don't think he's necessarily been great like i certainly have criticisms about the way he's doing um i I do tend myself find myself being pulled to defending him because i feel like when people are like overly harsh like that just kind of like pulls me into like has he really though like yeah there is this like (laughs) um so i I, i've gotten myself into some uh arguments and trouble with that but right it's it's certainly at an incomplete stage right now aren't getting attacked yeah, like, that's true. If, if everybody's happy with with the, what the player is doing, like you're not gonna you're not using any energy to defend them because you don't need to. When everybody's bashing a player, uh, if you agree with it, but maybe you think they're being a dick about it, maybe you just kind of hold your tongue. But I think with Havertz, it's been both. It's been it's been bashing things that aren't even necessarily true, and it's been over the top. So for me, like I yeah, this is exactly. This is like this is exactly where I ended up with like Eddie and Kedia. I mean, I was I was always in his corner, but I always felt like it was a very overwrought criticism of him, mm-hmm. um, and it would just it would just kind of drive me to be even more of an endorser of him. And I feel like that's where some of us are going to end up here with Havertz. I mean, if he goes ten games and it's we're still like I don't know, it was okay. Um, not that there's less value in something that you have to rewatch to notice, but. Um, you know, he should probably have a couple of standout 
games in the first, you know, sort of third of the season to, to kind of show. But I agree. I agree with the combination idea of him and Jesus. I just think that's ever since the moment that signing really started to kind of crystallize for Arsenal, I've just been having this vision of Gabriel Jesus, like come showing to ball, uh, coming, receiving to feet, like closer to midfield, receiving on the half turn, maybe taking a couple touches, a dribble and finding like Kai Havertz making a run beyond the defense. Like I just have this, this vision of that happening. Um, I think those two could really complement each other well, just like you. So, but yeah, for now we're going to have to be in the trenches a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's, there's similar kind of things to like Fabio Vieira, right? Like, so last oh, year, yeah. like I felt like the, the, the sentiment it, it rose early, right? He had like, I think one like good performance was at the, the Bournemouth math like, last or Brentford. And it's like, yeah. Oh, he's coming for Odegaard's spot. And, and then yeah, it's really he had a, a big nader at the end where like everybody was down on him. Like, Oh, he's too, he's too lightweight to be able to make it in the premier league. And now uh, 30 minutes of, you know, what I thought was some of his best performance. Like I, I thought that he was really, really good against Fulham. Like that's the most like aggressive I think I've ever really kind of seen him play. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really nice to be able to see, but it's like, sometimes you just got to give some guy some time. Like you can't like, but it's also, it's like what you've done in the last 30 minutes, like absolutely weighs on, uh, I think people's opinions on players and that's okay. And it's, it's just the natural tendency. It's like if player is either amazing or shit and there's no in between. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, Post Anfield Martinelli. <laughs> I mean, I, there were people who were like ready to get rid of him because he didn't make that pass correctly at the end of that game. Um, but, you know, he was arguably one of the best players of the season. And it's just, I guess that's just kind of the way it works online. Yep. All right. Next, we got Yuri uh, and Timber, um, who just has such, such bad luck to be able to, to come yeah. back with the ACL injury here. Yeah. And I'm, I, I say this uh, in what I wrote, but I don't feel like I can hold him being injured against him or the club in like a grading sense. I I do grade it an A um, both because of just, he, he already was a high reputation, high quality player. I mean, this was somebody who was high up on Eric Ten Hag's list, which, you know, I guess maybe isn't fair because Eric Ten Hag only uh, targets players. He's already coached, but um, it's yeah, it's, he just, he had a very good reputation already. Um, and they end up getting him for basically 35 million pounds, uh, looking at, at that and what that has accomplished for similar, uh, similar clubs. I mean, I, like, I just kind of did a sampling of guys around the same price and I got, you know, Axel DeSassi at Chelsea, who I think is going to not be a good signing. Um, Mickey Van de Ven for Tottenham. I think he certainly raised some questions early on. He was more expensive. Uh, Pedro Porro, who's another one for Tottenham. I have never really found the hype there unless he's completely overlapping with no, like give him a Nuno role. Um, and Tino Livermento who had part of a good season as a teenager for a pretty bad Southampton team. Actually, no, they weren't as bad as last season, but, uh, and you know, coming off a catastrophic knee injury and he went for more. So I just think value player ability, player versatility, that just, that is the best pound for pound signing we've made. Yeah, I agree too, right? And I was so excited. Like I I had uh tried to temper my expectations for him, but what we saw like in the flashes in the preseason and you know the community shield, even that first, you know, 30 minutes of the, you know, the the match against Forest, I was very very excited for him. Like it's it's unfair to expect a player to be thrown into the Premier League and just kind of look good but that's basically what happened with him and like he really just seemed like he didn't miss a beat 
being able to to kind of step in, you know, playing both right and left, being able to, you know, kind of just gel into the system. So I, I had high expectations and it's a real, real bummer to to see him be right. lost for, you know, what, eight months. I think there's a, a chance you might see he was ready at the end of the year, but realistically, it's a full year, um, you know, expect to come back, you know, for the preseason next year. Yeah, I've still got hope that we might see him again this season, but we'll see. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a, a good signing. Did And so I, do you think that there is something that we should have done now that Timber went out or like to me, like this is one of those like I think when we did the original kind of signing or, you know, our, our thoughts on our, our wish list, I feel like we've both kind of like the one spot that maybe we didn't hit was a, another, you know, like right you know, our left footed attacker that can play off of the right. But it feels like yeah. we did kind of go like for the shopping list that we wanted at the start of the season, like kind of nail what we wanted to see here. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I cannot sit here and slate the incoming at all. Um, the timber thing is obviously a bad, a bad luck situation. I would be really upset if I found out credibly that Arsenal did not shop for, another defender. Um, I will put my whole heart on the, on the line here and say, I am extremely confident that Arsenal kicked the tires on many defenders and probably had a very similar experience to Manchester United, who I'm assuming uh, did not start the process of needing to replace Luke Shaw by saying, Hey, what about that Cucurella guy? What about that Regulon guy? Like those are good premier league players. I'm pretty confident that they did try for better players. The problem once you get into the last couple of weeks of the transfer window is particularly when you're Arsenal um, or, you know, a big six club in the premier league or like a, a giant on the continent is you're in the, you're in the top three or 4% of all clubs in Europe. Mm-hmm. You're asking uh, when you're, when you're going out and asking, you know, can this player even be a contributor for us? Like think about Jakob Kivior last season out of Spezia. That's not even a big club. He's one of their best players at that time. Mm-hmm. And they sold him for 20 million pounds, give or take. Um, and they, they, I mean, they need to replace that. And they would they have loaned us Kivir? No, no, they need him to even stay in Syria in the first place. So you're just, you're asking clubs to give you their best players on a loan. Uh, it's, I, I am not surprised to see so few players move today. I mean, the only real loan that I can think of, uh, well, actually, there's a couple are the Joao's out of uh, Portugal Mm -hmm. both going to Barcelona. And I think we all know that there's more there (laughs) than meets the eye. It's not just like Atletico Madrid and Manchester city being like, Oh yeah, have these good players. That's obviously not the case. Yeah. And you know what happened to excellent selling club Chelsea? Why couldn't they get a, a fee for Cucurella, right? I thought that they were able to, to sell all of their players without any sorts of problems. Right. Why couldn't they get a fee for Callum Hudson-Odoi that was double figures? Why couldn't they get a fee for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who Arsenal also failed to sell? Why couldn't they get a fee for Cesar Espilicueta, who they released? Uh, why couldn't they get anything for Lukaku or Kepa, who are out on loan? Um, you know, it's just people are focused on the literal top three or four deals that they made all summer that they ignore everything else. They started the summer with a $30 million asking price for Christian Pulisic, they sold him to sold him and Ruben Loftus Cheek to Milan for a combined thirty million. Mm-hmm. So come on, let's use our critical thinking brains here. Not everything that Chelsea did was great, and not everything yeah. that they and not everything that they do consistently is great either. They basically like I'm trying to think of an Arsenal parallel to the Lewis Hall, Ian Matson thing. Um, 
I think that you can almost kind of like point to, uh, you know, Smith Rowe, like if they had like several kind of like Smith Rowe-ish kind of players, like if we had sold Smith Rowe for, you know, similar kind of feel, especially like if it was like after his kind of like breakout year where like, you yeah. know, Villa was like uh, sniffing around, like that is the type of deal that they sold, right? Like those are players that um, have shown flashes, have shown good things, and they're selling them at a, you know, maybe it's a temporary high, but it's like, it's a at a, a point in their career where players or teams are still going to project good things upon them. They have these good reputations. Um, they mm. don't have uh, the film that shows some of their weaknesses, or they don't have sitting on the bench for you know two years uh, not playing, or you know having the injury history yeah. um, starting to bite them. So it's like that's where they are making. They're they're selling a little bit, you know, uh, quote unquote, too early. And Arsenal have tended to hold on to players when they sell them when they're very, very certain. But the other thing is when the other teams are now also very certain about the players that you're selling. Yes. Yeah, that's the that's the the kind of the double edged sword, right? Ainsley Maitland-Niles, like, you know, now that we wouldn't have missed him. But when he was attracting that 20 million, I think it was 20 million pounds offer from Wolverhampton, I think. Mm -hmm. I think there was still some hope that he could be a contributor for Arsenal, right? So, and you, I mean, homegrown out of our own academy, I think at that point he's probably well, like 22. So I, I, in hindsight, yes, that should have happened. But, you know, I think you just need to take all the context in under advisement, like all together. Yep. All right. Uh, last incoming is uh, one that I was a, a bit surprised about. Uh, so David Raya uh, coming in yeah. on a, a loan, but I think this is, pretty much a, a buy it seems like it's uh, got a lot of uh chances that this comes a, a, actually a purchase rather than he goes back to Brentford yeah I think I think based on reporting that's come out since the initial reaction was like how did Arsenal pull this on Brentford um I think it's become more clear that this is like very what's what's the word i'm i'm thinking of it's it's a formality uh, yeah. that it's a almost loan. a full obligation right like there's a there's yes. a, a path for it to not be but it it pretty much is yeah so we get i mean we get into some hairy territory pretty quickly um once we start kind of playing this scenario out is it really good to have two keepers who are this level of quality when you're arsenal yeah absolutely um it's it's very similar to me in to like the Declan Rice deal, where I think this is the club spending money, knowing that this is probably financially not going to work out the greatest in the long term, uh, because you know it's it's easy to play Monday Monday morning quarterback here, but I would expect um, maybe as soon as next summer, perhaps a year later, that one of these guys is going to leave because mm-hmm. they're not going to want to be the backup anymore. I mean, how many times do we need to see this? at Arsenal specifically before we realize that two good keepers is not sustainable. Burned Leno, Emmy Martinez, Peter check, like this, these guys want to go and they want to play somewhere. So at that point you're looking at, are we sending out, let's just say Ramsdale loses because I think that's what most people expect. Uh, if, if Ramsdale loses that battle, do we go into a cycle where we're sending him out on loan? Um, do we get another burned Leno deal, another 9 million pound all in package if the club stays up? for two summers or two seasons. Um, probably, probably better. Right. But yeah, I think he's, he's, he'd go to a higher caliber type club. 
You, yeah, you would hope. I mean, we'll have to see what happens to this player from like a narrative and reputation perspective in the, in the interim, but both of these guys now are going to be two of the top 15 earners at keeper in the world. Uh, so you're looking at a pretty small buyer pool. They do still need to have a good reputation intact. Hopefully for Ramsdale, he's made some progress on becoming England's number one, if he's not going to stick. Um, and you know, so you're, you're also two of, I think the top 11 or 13 fees paid for a keeper ever. So I would just say that this is one of those cases where you say the results on the pitch may over, may be a bigger priority than the eventual financial output of it. Because I like sitting here right now, it's probably going to be a year or two, but I'm foreseeing kind of like a 15 million, 20 million pound egg, like uh, exit. Yeah, I, I think I'd be pretty happy with, you know, that for either of the players, right? If it's, uh, you know, kind of those kinds of things. Um, I, I, I'm going to throw some match in, just just wanted to get your your thoughts. So it's like people that, like seem to complain about, you know, competition for goalkeepers. And I find mm-hmm. that a little bit bizarre because it's like we don't do that for any other position on the field. Right. Yeah. If we had signed a, you know, a guy to come in and compete with, you know, Alexander Zinchenko at left back. Would anybody be worried about uh, Zinchenko's confidence or worry, you know, about him being able to handle, you know, being able to do it? It's like if we had done that with, you know, somebody, you know, at any other position on the field, like that's not a problem. But it is like, is there something specially like sensitive about goalkeepers and needing to feel like they're not having competition with them? I think so. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> maybe i am wrong it's okay but it's like to me it's like these guys are you know absolute professional professionals like they get to this level by absolutely believing um in themselves so it's like i don't know like it's okay to give them a little push and be able to do it and like yeah i, I don't think they're uh delicate flowers that can't handle that kind of stuff no i don't think it's i don't think it's anything quite like that i don't i don't think it aids them a lot but um i think that the the performance based like outputs of this are less of a concern for me. Like if, if Raya, let's say Raya upends Ramsdale because he's been training great, or maybe Arteta is really pissed off at, at Ramsdale over that first goal. He feels like he played it all wrong uh, against Fulham uh, or what have you. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And let's say Raya goes on a game or a streak of 10 straight premier league starts. Then we got to go to Ramsdale because Raya twists his ankle or something. Um, would I be worried that Ramsdale would come in and play like the worst of his life? No, 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 no. My, my criticism is far more about like, this isn't like an outfield player where you might start, you know, uh, Bernardo Silva at right wing. And then the next game you start him in the midfield, the midfield and you throw Mares out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's, there's just like less mix. And there's match. only one position, right? There's only one position for him to be able to do it. They can't both yeah. play at the same time. They, I mean, unless we're, we're on the verge of some really big like, innovation. <laughs> New, yeah. Yeah. It's so I just think it's a little hairier. That's all. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sitting here telling you that. Well, I'm maybe David Raya is our center back depth. He's the left eight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I gave it a B minus just because I think, I think we're going to end up losing money on it. But if, if we accomplish the objectives on the pitch, that will not matter. Yep. No, I think that is a, a good way to kind of put it. Um, so that's the the incomings. Um, what, what do you kind of give the overall incoming grade here? I mean, I feel on- like the incomings were really good. I would I would go like eight or nine out of ten. Uh, a minus B plus. Like, I yeah. think we could have done better in a vacuum. Um, I think we could have gone with a safer a safer 
name than Kai Havertz, but I also, uh, the more I've studied Kai Havertz, the more I've kind of started to believe that that could really work. I just wish we had maybe screwed Chelsea over a little bit more. Yeah, I think that kind of nails things too. Yeah, I have it like right in that eight and a half, nine range of for the incomings. Like it feels like maybe like one short, like, you know, maybe like in a perfect world, like you're able to get one more player. But I think that that one was very dependent on if we hit all of the sales, like to like kind of like the max, like then we can fund one more say or one more purchase. But other than that, I think we we hit all of the things that I really wanted to do this summer, right? I wanted to yeah. get that, you know, world-class central midfielder that's going to be the heir to anchor things, you know, for the, the next 10 years. And I think Declan Rice can absolutely do that, you know, maybe for like, the next eight years. Um, I wanted to, you know, replace Granite Xhaka. Um, I have, you know, similar concerns about Kai Havertz, but I also see that there's a chance that he's a, you know, a clear upgrade off of Granite Xhaka, especially in being able to do like the attacking things. Cause I think we're moving away from, that position being part of the double pivot because i think we're seeing you know yeah. the three two so it's like we have somebody else sliding into that so i'm less worried about him doing you know some of the midfielder type things so i think that that is a, a good move you know it can be seen to be a great move it could seem to be a move that i think it's got a, a pretty high floor um for what Havertz is going to be able to do um because if he's as bad as he was at chelsea i think that's still pretty good so i think that's at, at worst a pretty good deal I'm yeah. very, very excited for Timber. Oh, yeah, me too. I can't wait for him to come back. And can I just, so can we do yeah, like a, Havertz, a yeah. stat of the day? Yeah. Um, one of the biggest criticisms of Kai Havertz as an idea this summer was he can't do what Jacka does without the ball um, out of out of possession. And this is when we're defending. Um, mm-hmm. So just here's your stat of the day. Through three games, one of which has been widely derided as a terrible performance. Um, you know, take that with a grain of salt. I was kidding. Um, <laughs> so Kai, Kai so far has won 6.3 duels per appearance. He's winning 54% of his duels. Uh, to put that in perspective, last season, Granite Jacka widely considered his best season at Arsenal. He was winning 3.4 duels per appearance, 53% success. So Kai is winning them more and at a higher rate. So for, for what that's worth, that's a so far stat. Yep. Yeah. So no, I think the, the the arrivals have been really good. Um, should we go through some of the departures real quick? Gotta um, do it. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the big one, uh, Florian Bal- Florian Balligan to Monaco. Um, I think it's a, a fee thirty up to forty uh, with add-ons, and then a sell-on clause that I think I've seen at seventeen and a half percent. I don't know if that's of profit or if it's total gross, but overall, it seems like it's I total it's gross. A, yeah, I think overall it looks like a pretty good sale. That I think if uh, if he hits, you, we might be talking about you know a, a deal close to fifty plus, maybe even the sixty range, depending on how big a future sale might be. Yeah, I mean it's it's one that I feel good about because he didn't go he didn't go anywhere in England, um, and and I think the actions of some of the clubs that everybody was convinced would come in late with a with a closer to fifty million pound offer your West Ham's, your Brentford's, your um, Fulham's. I think their actions have shown that that was not going to happen. Nobody has signed a striker for that amount. I think I bet one person on Twitter a Coke if uh, West Ham signed a striker for what near what they paid for Skamaka and they didn't. So um, yeah, it's, I feel good about it. You get 
uh, 20, what is it? 26 million in pounds in right now. You get another 10 in add-ons or I guess it's 8.7 to do the the conversion. So it's basically a 33, 34 million pound deal. And, you know, I, there's, there are two outcomes here. Either Balogun is good and he gets sold eventually for a pretty solid number. Even if that's 40 million, you might bring in another, you know, eight, 9 million on top of it. And it becomes a 40, three 44 million pound deal. And that's, that's good. And if he gets really good, that number goes up. And the other, uh, the other possibility is that he doesn't do well in Monaco. And then it's look at all this money we got for this bad player. Yeah. And you know, uh, the, the sell on fee, especially at this high of a percentage is almost like a, you know, a grant of first refusal, right? So if Arsenal do want to kind of come in, like this is something that we could get Monaco to, you know, potentially sell it to us and like basically like we'll just you know kind of waive our 17 percent share on things um so like i think that's also a thing to to kind of consider there right i think this is a, a win-win-win type of thing i think arsenal do well i think balligan does well and i think this is a good spot for monaco um i think this is yeah. a, a good fit for them um i think it's a overall really good deal for all involved i agree i i think i gave it a b plus so yeah Right, it could have been it could have been better, but I think all things considered, like this is above the the median of what we could have expected. Yeah, right, because I think you kind of look at like there's a like a Jonathan David kind of comp out there who like he hasn't quite done any sales, and I think he's had like a similar profile, a similar kind of like feel to him, and like he hasn't found like any like sort of like big move coming out of League One, and so it's like I think Arsenal did pretty good like overall here. I think so too. I mean, they they did try to sell David, and they didn't find anybody for him. So exactly right. There. there was even like a like a loan deal like for David that kind of fell through at like the last minute too. So it's like I, th- I think there's there is a way that this could have gone worse. Agreed. Yeah, and I think one of the things too is like when you're not selling to one of the other like big teams in England, like your expectations for the fee just have to go way down. They do, yeah, and that's that's where you get things like your sell-ons and your buybacks um, and your rights of first refusal, your sliding scale sell-ons, all that good stuff. I mean, that's how you recoup some of that value that you're losing just because of the cash richness of that club is not as high. And yeah, if Monaco has, I don't know, 80 million come in from, from sales, um, they're not Tottenham or, you know, Chelsea where they can turn around and spend 80 or more on transfers. They might have to literally like pay some bills with some of that money. So All right. Uh, next, uh, Granite Jacka. So they have it listed at 15 million uh, euros here on transfer marks, but I think I saw it was like, is it up to 22 million euros or something like that with the add-ons? So it's like a somewhere yeah. in that range. I think if I remember, it got reported as a 25 million euro deal. Yeah. Uh, it seems like it's probably like a 15 plus 10 potentially. Yeah, like some of the whispers that have come out have been maybe that fee was a little puffed up by like fees. Or, or add-ons that are along the lines of like if Bayern if Bayern Leverkusen make the the Champions League, you know, part of that is that. So maybe not the easiest add-ons. So we can talk about it like a fifteen um, or a twenty-five. I'm fine either way. Somewhere in the middle there, maybe. Somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, I think I think if we were able to get the full twenty-five million euros, it'd be a phenomenal sale. It'd be the fifth the fifth thirty-plus midfielder in history to go for that much. Uh, and several of the ones before him are under question uh, as to their validity. Uh, there were a couple of Juventus deals in there, one, <laughs> one that went to China. So 
Um, but even, even if it ends up being 13, um, what I wrote is that I've, it's a very good sale. Um, so fun fact about that, even at, even just at the base 13 million pound fee, uh, he is the biggest outgoing premier league player, uh, outgoing premier league midfielder in league history. Uh, wow. the next closest one is what Liverpool just got for Henderson, which obviously is a Saudi buyer. And then after that, it's Jorginho. So there you go. That's some real good context and perspective on things. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not common for a player to be leaving the league and get this much money at this age. And he's been great for them so far. It seems like he's a real difference maker for them. So I think that that's a good deal for them too. Yeah, another win 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 type of thing. I, I think an A. So yeah, no, he went out on a high with Arsenal. I think this is a, a good landing spot for him. So I think everybody should feel happy about this one. All right, next up is uh, the the second of our American contingent, uh, Matty Turner going to Nottingham Forest. Mm-hmm. It's uh, reported at 8 million euros. Yeah, I've got it at 7 million pounds. I am completely on board with this. I, you know, there were those rumors going around that this was going to be 15 million pounds or more, and I was kind of like taken aback that, by yeah, that. Right. <laughs> it seems I think I, way I, out I, think of I said it would be an Edu swindle um, because there's just, there's just not like a history on the market of, of that deal for that player. Uh, so I, at the time I was citing Alphonse Ariola and Jose Saez uh, as comps and neither of those guys cleared 8 million. So I, and those were coming from, or at least Ariola had a, had a longer track record than Turner, similar age when he sold to West, West Ham, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jose Sa was a starter in Greece um, when he came to Wolves. So, I'm happy with it. I think I think it's a solid deal, specifically because he didn't play very much, uh, and we we made a big upgrade there. Um, you know, I think I think I it's it's good. I gave it a B. Yeah, made a made a profit too. Um, off uh, one year with uh, the club, so that's a you know nothing to sneeze at as well. All right, next exactly. we got the the last of the American contingent. So the the Americanness of Arsenal has significantly dropped after this window. So we got Agenda. Austin Trusty, yeah, Austin Trusty to Sheffield United uh, for just under six million euros. So I think that's about five million pounds. Yes, and I'm disgusted at my club for <laughs> being blatantly anti-American, um, selling three players from the same country in the same window. Uh, Austin Trusty. Joined Arsenal for 1.5 million, never kicked a, a competitive ball for us. Was the player of the season for a bad club in the championship, um, and getting five million pounds for him, uh, I think is quite good. He's not even starting for Sheffield right now, yeah. so I think that this is a good deal. I gave it a B plus. Uh, there were some people who were convinced that like this player of the season campaign showed that he was bound for bigger and better things. I think he's probably going to end up having like one of those careers where he's largely bouncing back and forth between the championship and the premier league and never really like standing out. Yeah. And I think that's a totally fine level for him, right? Like this is a guy that was playing in MLS not too long ago. And like, I think this is a a good spot for him. I think it's a good sale. Um, You know, it's again, uh, a one year, uh, you know, was it, I guess we came in January um, 2022, so like 18 months with the club, and I think he did quite well um, overall, making a making a you know a good buck on him. So nice. Mm-hmm. 
Um, next, I have uh, Rob Holding going to Crystal Palace. I'm not sure if this is official, official, but at four million pounds is what I'm seeing for here. Um, yeah, you got, you got any big thoughts on Bobby Sacramento, who's almost like an honorary American, so like our fourth American yes. being, you know, <laughs> leaving the club. I wanted him to go to Mallorca. I thought that would have been very entertaining, but he, uh, I just, I don't have a lot of fire in my belly about this deal. Um, I predicted that he would go for five. Mm-hmm. The, the way that the summer has gone, um, you know, I think coming into it, maybe we would have expected him to be attractive to one of the, one of the newly promoted clubs. Um, and they all made it very clear uh, with a couple of isolated examples that they are building on youth, uh, yeah. particularly Burnley, who is really the bigger spender of that group. Um, you know, so outside of that, I mean, it's tough for me to, everybody says like, Oh, well, he could go play for, insert low block team here um, and he would be good for them. Well, guess what? He just got bought by crystal palace who are maybe going to come in like 12th, 13th, like best case scenario might be what, like ninth or 10th. They're not even going to start him. No, he's, not, he's, he's certainly going to be behind Anderson and, uh, and Gahey. Yeah. And Gahey. He's not. So he's, he's their third center back at best. So I'm fine with 4 million pounds. I'm not worried about him not being there to start. If Saliba gets suspended for a game or picks up an injury, big or small, because I don't think he would have been the first choice anyway. Um, He probably would have been the fourth choice realistically. So that's why I think Arteta just let him go. Yeah. I think realistically, like if, if Rob Holding had played any meaningful minutes with Arsenal, something had gone seriously wrong. Like there's no like real path that like we're choosing to play him in matches that matter that we care about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that's uh, the right way to do it because it's like, Oh, but it's like, we're, we're losing depth. And it's like, but this is depth that we did not want to use. And like, it's just, I'd rather have the the 4 million and like, let him, you know, say, thank you very much. Like he's a, a kind of a polarizing player, but it's like, he didn't come in with huge expectations. And I think he exceeded some of those like low expectations, right? The guy won two FA cups. Yeah. He had one really, really good performance in an FA cup, Um, you know, kind of, you know, pissed off Diego Costa and did that. But other than that, I think he showed some of his limitations. And I think he's going to a club where he's just about right. Yeah. I mean, that. what do you say? I I gave it a C. It's not, you it's, know, it's, it's right out of expectations, right? Average, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right. Uh, Pablo Marie, um, I think we already knew that this was going to happen at the end of last year. Um, so I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on it. Yeah, it's fine. And I think in retrospect, um, Arsenal making, what, 7 million pounds from him. It's a very good outgoing. Yep. Um, so now we're into some of the loans that we're seeing. So we got Kieran Tierney to Real Sociedad. Um, I, I don't think this one happens if Sociedad are not in the Champions League. And I think that's why this is a loan only, because I think they need to see where they are you know, financially. Because I think they can only afford the wages. And even then, there might be some subsidy there um, because they're in the Champions League. Um, but I don't know. You got any big thoughts on Tierney? Yeah, I mean, so the big question is going to be, with Tierney, well, a couple things. Obviously, Arsenal, I think, preferred to sell him, um, yeah. and and could not find that buyer. Um, all the buyers who could have happened went in a different direction or didn't move at all. If you're looking at Aston Villa, uh, so once you get kind of down into the weeds, it's really a matter of should Arsenal have kept Karen Tierney instead? And I'm a hard no on this, and here's why: um. Saving for like two injuries happening to the squad in the mm-hmm. same position. Uh, where is Kieran Tierney in the left back pecking order? It's very clearly Alexander Zinchenko first. 
it's very clearly either Kivior or Tomiyasu's second, and it's the other one third. So I didn't think it was um, uh, also uh, Timber above him at left back. Yeah, and that's if if Timber's healthy, Kieran Tierney is literally the fifth choice at left back. Uh, Does Kieran Tierney have something to offer? Is he a decent player? Absolutely. Should he stay at Arsenal just because he's decent? And if multiple players get injured, he might have a chance of being selected. No, you do not build a squad that way. Respect the player, show some class as a club, give him a chance to go play somewhere and restart his career Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe fetch a fee next season. We, in terms of like the X's and O's of the loan itself, Arsenal negotiated a really, really good loan for him. They got Real Sociedad to pay his entire wage and give them one point or a little over a million pounds. When he comes back next summer, he will have no more loan fee or no more uh, transfer fee to amortize. It will be gone. He'll have a year less on his contract, which takes away a little bit from his value. But hopefully he's played decently well for a, a Champions League club and you can get some some money that way. And exactly. without the five million that was left on his loan, you can look at it. Or sorry, his amortized fee. Yeah. You can look at it as a bigger profit when you sell him, even for less. So, I I gave that one a B a B minus just because sale would have been preferable. But it's a good it's a good loan. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that there's any downside to this, right? Because I think even if he sticks around and he doesn't play, like I think that hurts his value even worse. I don't think it's easier to sell him anything like that. Like the only thing that really like could absolutely make this worse is if he like goes out and like has like a catastrophic injury, which nobody wants. But I think right if he goes out and he plays well, if he shows that he can stay healthy for you know thirty matches to be able to to get in there and make contributions. I think that the value can go up for him pretty significantly being able to to see him back at his best and not have the memory of him as a guy that rode the bench and has injury troubles. So I think that this is a, a good reset chance for him and the club. I think this is another win-win type of thing for everybody involved. I agree. I think we're, right. we're aligned there. Nuno Tavares, um, Nottingham Forest, uh, you know, a small loan fee, but a, a fairly decent option. I think it was at like 10 to 12 yeah. million potentially um, as the 12 million, nice. uh, 12 million pound potential purchase clause or uh, buy clause here with a 1 million pound fee and up to 3 million in add ons. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more the more that came out about this, the better it, it looks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the I think the big question is what are the triggers, right? Because Fabrizio Romano said that there are there are tri- there are clauses in the loan contract that would make this permanent, um, which would obviously be ad- advantageous to Arsenal. I'm assuming that games played or minutes mm-hmm. is probably a really big one, and I would assume that staying up is probably another big one. Yeah, um, and I, I think that's probably part of why Nuno probably didn't want to sign there permanently. Because uh, if you may remember, he there was a point in the window where he actually like said no to Forrest because he had, quote, other options. Um, and I think maybe Villa was one of those. But anyway, if if they can get him out for $16 million combined between the, the loan fee, the add-ons, and the transfer fee, I would like make that. I'd give, I'd, yeah, I'd give kiss uh, to Edu, right? Yeah, I'd be, he'd be yeah very high on my list. So from, sure from, from today, I give it an A minus, um, but I really like it. I think it's maybe the best loan we did this summer. Yep. Um, so I think that's really kind of it of the the outgoings. Is there anything else? I know there's a, a you know there's no Pepe news, right? Yeah, I mean, but there's not going to be. We're gonna we're gonna terminate his contract probably tomorrow. 
Yeah, um, so I guess, I mean, there's still, I guess, the Turkey and Saudi Arabia's windows stay open after mm-hmm. this. So, yeah, it's not the end of the world um, there. Um, it also looks like Cedric um, is not going to find uh, a departure. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see I could see Cedric sticking around and, like, never doing anything, really. But I, um, at the beginning of the summer, I predicted Pepe and Cedric were both terminations. I, I It's almost like I wonder if there's going to be, like, an NBA-level buyout market at this point uh, <laughs> where there's, like, a new wave of free agency that happens. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not upset about either one of those guys because that's exactly what I expected. They're just not – they just aren't players with value. So what do you expect? Yeah. So, so how do you grade the outgoings? Um, I, I gave this a five earlier, but now that we've talked through it, I'm, I think I might have upped my grade. But what, what's your thought overall on the outgoings? Um, I think that they're. I think that I'm definitely higher on it than than your five. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are a couple of things where it, it obviously would have been better to get Tierney out out on a permanent to get Nuno or Sambi out on a permanent that would have taken it up to like a nine or a ten out of ten. Uh, if you could get a reasonable or, you know, a good fee for all those guys, obviously what I mean, but um, you know, that didn't happen. So that weighs against the score. I think Balogun maybe being a little bit lower, um, a little bit more dependent on, you know, clauses and things like that to make some money. So I would probably give it like a six and a half or seven for the sales. Yeah. I think I'm going to elevate this up to somewhere between a six and a six and a half. Um, Like there's upside here, right? If like some of the, if, if Tierney's move works out, if Tavares's move works out, like this could look a lot better Um, in hindsight. uh, Balogun, I think we, we got a solid like baseline. Like this is going to, I don't think we're going to regret anything here. We we protected our upside if Balogun explodes. And I think we got some solid upfront money. Um, I think the Jacka move was, like better than we could have um, expected. So yeah, I think overall and we made some quick profits on Turner and uh, trusty. So I think those ones were, were fine. So yeah, I think um, in hindsight, it's probably yeah closer to a six, six and a half. Like it's a uh, better than average, but you know, maybe not a, you know, a perfect like home run type window. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's basically what you can say. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of like, a lot of uh, eulogizing over Arsenal's recruitment and things like that for a while. And there people are going to go back to we're terrible at selling. And, you know, I did, if people want to check it out, I did a really long, not really long, a, a thread on um, us compared to some of our like actually comparable opponents. And I talked about why comparing ourselves to Chelsea and city is a, 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 a like an exercise in Futility. basically like self-harm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So if, you know, check that out, I'm going to pin that on my profile if anybody wants to look on Twitter. Yep. Um, I think that uh, looks good. Um, So I think that's a good spot to end uh, part one. Um, So we'll do a little housekeeping here. The show is supported by our much appreciated premium subscribers. Um, If you do want to sign up to do that, you'll get at least five additional articles per month. Um, We do lots of deep player analysis, um, do uh, other interesting things. You'll get the instant reactions post-match. We're looking to do uh, one to two premium podcasts a month and the other thing you'll get is our everlasting gratitude because you help support all the wonderful things that we do um so yeah if you want to help us that's a, a great way to do it um and we'll try to keep this the second part here sh- kind of shorter but adam we're, we're back in the champions league and they drew uh, us a group yesterday uh you got yeah. some exciting stuff about that so so tell us about what our group is yes so First of all, I love the Champions League draw. If I have not made that clear, I'm going to miss it so bad. But um, yeah, we got into Group B. Um, 
and I, everybody was worried about Bayern and, you know, getting them again because, you know, heritage. But uh, so we were drawn with Sevilla, who last season came 12th in La Liga, but won the Europa League. So that's how they got into the Champions League through pure double magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the PSV, whom you may remember was one of our uh, group stage opponents in the Europa League last season. But once we face them, you will see they are very different now. Yes, um, quite a few and, outgoings for them, right? And and the Simmons was the guy that like absolutely terrorized us, and he's gone. Uh, Gakpo, as we Gakpo know, is at Liverpool. There. Yep, they sold. Uh, well, we can. Yeah, they sold. They did more selling, but um, and then RC Lons from France. Uh, been a really long time since they'd been. I, I don't know if have they ever been in the Champions League. I'm not sure. I think but, a long time ago. Yeah, at the very least, it's been a long time. Um, and they uh, responded to this new. Um, source of revenue and global uh, reputation boost by losing their two, maybe their two best players to two of their top, at least three or four, I would say. So it's, it's a, it's a fun group. Um, I think it's particularly when we've got people kind of moaning and groaning about the depth of the club. I think it's one of the better draws we could have gotten. Um, I don't know. I kind of look at like inter as maybe getting the easiest draw. Um, or uh, Group H was also a very easy one, but I forget. Oh, Barcelona were the good team on the top of that one. But um, if you look at like who is who 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 could you have drawn and who did you draw? I think it's a very positive group for Arsenal. Exactly. Uh, no, Arsenal be- absolutely got the easiest, I think, team out of Pot One, which is always going to make your group a lot easier. Yeah, well, hundred percent. And it was either them, it was either Sevilla or Feyenoord if you wanted the easiest Pot One side. So. Um, Feyenoord, I think at least have a lot of really positive energy and momentum around their club. Sevilla are off to a terrible start to the season. They sold their, their top goalkeeper, uh, Bono from last season. He was the Moroccan keeper who was like standing on his head at the world cup. If you remember, um, I do not know for sure at time of recording, if Lucas Ocampos did leave, but he was, very heavily linked to Fulham over the last couple of days. I don't think in the series left, he's their striker. He'll, he'll be a handful for Gabriel and, and Saliba, but I would back our guys in that matchup. So I think the away game will be a challenge. Um, you know, they'll kind of look to, to slow things down and, you know, really mud up the game kind of like a Newcastle would, but um, I definitely back us. So maybe, maybe this isn't like an 18 point, you know, plus 25 goal differential group, but it's, it's one that Arsenal should expect to win. Yeah, I, um, I think that my kind of baseline expectation is this like four one one, right? Like let's you know yeah. win win the home games, you know, win at least one away game, and you know maybe you lose one and then you know, draw one. I think that's kind of like where I would hope to to kind of be at. Yeah, and it, I would not be stunned at all uh, to come out come out of Sevilla or Seville especially, um, or or Eindhoven or well, I guess I probably wouldn't be stunned by a non win. And any of the away games, I would hope to win in France. Uh, I think that'll be a relatively welcoming atmosphere for Arsenal. But um, it's, yeah, it's, I mean, PSV. So looking at them, um, as, as you said, they've lost a lot of their firepower from last season, uh, just like in the first part of the window. But, you know, deadline day departure was Ibrahim Sangare, who's been their number six style midfielder for four seasons now. Um, very, very, very good. Uh, definitely gave us some trouble, um, in the group stage last season. So, uh, that is going to be a huge, huge, huge role, um, for somebody to fill. And I personal wise, I don't see 
a, a natural fill in for them, um, like on their roster. So I think they might have some problems, uh, feel pretty confident about them coming to London. Um, and yeah, I mean, this is, this is going to be a side that's going to be built around Luke de Jong, uh, who you may remember from Barcelona glory days. Uh, Chucky Lozano came in there, the, the Mexican and former Napoli winger. And then, uh, you know, good old American boy, Serginho Dest playing left back. So, um, you know, you kind of get a read on the quality of the of the side. I think from there, it's it's a club that Arsenal should be able to beat and draw in two games on paper. But you know, weird things happen in Europe, so we'll see. Yep. All right. So we got to use the doorbell music for the the first time. So we'll be right back in one second. All right, and we are back. We were uh, talking some Champions League when we, we, we last left. I think we had, uh, left off on PSV, if I am not mistaken. You are not mistaken, no. So the last uh, the last member of Arsenal's group is, is RC Lons in France, and they um, we were just kind of starting to talk about them a little bit. So they're, I think that, I mean, I probably would say it's between them and PSV to see who will be the weakest member of this group. Um you know, not that they don't have quality. I think I think they they present kind of tactically like a pretty good yin t- to Arsenal's yang here. They line up in a three four two one. They'll seed a lot of possession and kind of sit back. Um, so Arsenal probably are not going to get a ton of chances, particularly in the away leg of that of that uh, fixture. But um, you know, I mean, you just look at like personal player quality, athleticism. Um, you know, these are things that are on Arsenal's side. One thing I think that is really helpful is that this isn't a terribly, terribly um, experienced side. Uh, there, there are some transitions that are happening there. Um, so over the summer, they lost the guy who was kind of like their heartbeat uh, over the past couple of years, Seiko Fofana. He went to a Saudi side. They sold Lois Appenda, who was their star striker, to uh, RB Leipzig, and they replaced him with Elie Wahi, who was another guy that Arsenal was, you know, so linked to for a while. Arsenal were getting a, an offer ready, blah, 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 never did it. Um, so with Elie Wahi, you're looking at a, a striker who's got a lot of speed and could be a problem against a high line. So, you know, I think that there are some tactical curiosities there that'll make for a fun matchup. Um, but in terms of quality on paper, I mean, I feel pretty strongly that Arsenal, you know, should be able to take those points and, you know, hopefully, I mean, maybe even get some guys like Vieira um, some minutes in the second leg or this the later matchup. Exactly. Yeah. You think about the, the overall kind of a window or, you know, the, the, the groups that we could have gotten, it could have been a lot harder than this, you know, a lot more difficult um, sorts of uh, trips that we had to do. I think that's the other thing too, that I think is potentially being missed is like all of these trips for Arsenal are relatively easy trips to go to, you know, yeah. Lons is a relatively easy one. Uh, Sevilla is probably the furthest away, and even that isn't too bad. Uh, PSV is a nice, easy, like forty-five minute, you know, plane ride to mm-hmm. from London. So I think overall travel, um, you know, level of quality against these teams. Um, I was looking at the the Opta ratings, and I think uh, Sevilla is the the lowest rated of by Opta at fifty fifth rated, and then we got like twenty second and twenty sixth. So I think overall, like. Arsenal should be pretty clear favorites to win this one. Um, I think the the initial estimates show about you know two thirds of the time Arsenal should win this group, and I think actually getting out of it should be probably in the the ninety plus percentile range right now. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I mean, things can happen, right? You, somebody very important can pick up an injury or, you know, God knows what else can happen. But as things sit today, um, you would definitely say that this is a group that minimum you should get out of, if not win. I don't really think that there's likely to be a great excuse if that doesn't happen. So yeah, it's, it's one I feel good about. I mean, I was definitely nervous about getting the, the Newcastle. I mean, obviously we well, couldn't could try Newcastle, but a group like what those yes. guys got with Milan. And like, I mean, I think, I think there's an argument that the, the first two pot sides PSG and Dortmund maybe don't get out of this group. So mm-hmm. um, it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot easier than that. Yeah, no, we did we did really good kind of avoiding uh, any of the tricky ones from pot three and pot four. And then I think we got really, really lucky for the pot one potential here. I know people are kind of saying, oh, this is a little bit Europa League, but I don't know. I'll kind of take uh, Europa League, but on Tuesday and Wednesday nights. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's the thing is it's it's as long as the badge on the arm says Champions League, like I only care about. Right, uh, playing that answer. We're going to win. <laughs> get us into the get us into the knockout rounds, and then I'm sure we'll have plenty of bad draw stuff to complain about. Um, there, I mean, there are definitely a couple of groups that I think are are notably weaker than the others. I think City also got an awfully easy group. Not that I don't have any respect for Leipzig, but um, if you had put, uh, you know, some of the other pot two clubs in that, it would be a lot more difficult for them. Um, and I just don't think that like Red Star Belgrade or Young Boys really stand much of a chance to do anything at the mm-hmm. Etihad, let alone, you know, keep it within three or four. Um, so it's, you know, I think I, I said this last season and I ended up being a little bit off, but I think, you know, you, they should be looking for 18 points, honestly. <laughs> exactly. No, I think that's a, a good spot there. All right. Um, yeah. So there's some some breaking rumors of bad things potentially happening injury wise. Um, I don't want to talk about them right now because they haven't been confirmed. Um, so hopefully that's all just uh, bad rumors that are potentially out there and we don't need to have a further meltdown. But I think we might have a further meltdown if these rumors end up being true. Well, we shall see one day at a time. That's the best we can do. Yeah. Um, do you want to quickly, I know we're, we're already at a, a pretty long run rate, but any thoughts on Manchester United for Sunday for the weekend? Yeah. Just put out the strongest 11 that we've got available. Um, you know, I think, I think the measurables have been on Arsenal's side. Um, some really fluky stuff has gone against the club. Um, you know, I think the only performance based issue that there's really been has been, Nottingham Forest just kind of dropping off at 2-0, but even that game was very much not um, out of control at 2-1, as panicky as people might have been feeling. Um, I think Fulham, you know, I mean, so we've just been able to control games quite well when we've had 10 men on the pitch, or sorry, 11 men on the, when we haven't had 10 on the pitch. And um, while that does sort of play into United's hands historically, they, they love to play against that. Uh, and I mean, even just like last year, the first game with them was basically that, but a loss. Um, I think I, you know, they've got a number of things to overcome for this weekend as well. So as much as we like to banter the loss of Luke Shaw, uh, the loss of Mason Mount, I don't see that working in their favor the Mm -hmm. way some of the more sarcastic Arsenal fans maybe do. Yep. No, I think that it's a, it, it feels like that there's a couple ways that this can go. And I think there's one that makes me more nervous than the other. Um, I think that 
if Manchester United kind of go back to the old Manchester United playbook and look to potentially play more on the counter, play more of like that mid block rather than their more what they've shown these first three matches of a very, very aggressive press. Because I mean, I feel like if Manchester United come out and press Arsenal, they really don't show a lot of uh, resistance once you kind of get past them. And I think that that could be good for Arsenal to be able to to get healthy and get, you know, back eaten with some goals scored. But if they kind of sit back a little bit, you know, Rashford concerns me on the counter, um, you know, uh, you know, Hoyland up top, right. To kind of be that target to, to play off of, you know, Bruno Fernandez only needs a, a couple chances to hurt you. Um, I, I, that one is the only one that a little bit concerns me. I don't know if you've got a, a different thought there. No, no, I think, I think what you said is true. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny. Uh, I can't remember which one it was, but maybe, maybe it was John McKenzie was on our show not too long yeah. ago who said, it's funny, uh, that, you know, regardless of the first handful of results, the fan bases will look at this. The winner will say, you know, we're title contenders and the losers will say <laughs> our season is over. Um, and, and to be fair, I think that's every game between these two clubs, but, uh, well, at least the last couple of years anyway, but, um, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm really looking for more control of some of the mental things that have haunted us so far. And I think, I think if we can control that, the sort of the fundamentals of the rest of the, of the game have been really positive. So I don't know, is, have we heard if Hoyland can play this weekend? I, I think that um, on the press conference that Eric Ten Hag just did said that he's available to start. I don't know if that necessarily means he will start, um, right? He, he hasn't really played at all for them. Has he played at all in like preseason? So he, he feels no, like he I might be. He, yeah. Did he play in preseason? I actually don't know that I should, but I don't. Yeah, because I know they had some some later games while like I think at the same time as like we were doing the champion or sorry, the, the community shield um, doing those kinds of things. So he might have gotten a run out and then he's kind of come back hurt. So it might be yeah, I don't know if he's going to be thrown right into it or if it might be kind of like a, a similar to Gabriel Jesus type of thing where, you know, Gabriel Jesus might be available to start, but, you know, not really have the full minutes in him to actually be able to play. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't expect him at his, you know, in his final form at the very least, but I think I don't think he has played. If I remember, he uh they found like the back issue in his physical. Yeah, okay. Yep. I think that sounds about right. I don't follow uh every coming and going of Manchester United, so I I think we'll we'll I'm going to give myself a little bit of a pass on not knowing that one. I know, I same. I've there's been too much Arsenal stuff to keep track of <laughs> to really like bury myself in other clubs. Exactly. Yeah, oh yeah. So I I really, really hope um Arsenal win this one. Uh, my model's showing Arsenal as pretty heavy favorites. I think it got it at about fifty five percent. So that's that's pretty good. Um so it's a about a fifty fifty chance that we come away happy. Um although like another bat, you know. I don't know. I mean, if a draw, I think people would still freak out about a draw. Um, I think people would go into uh, meltdown mode if there's a loss, right? You kind of, you know, compounding Fulham already felt like a loss, a transfer window that people are freaking out. Um, and then a, a loss to Manchester United going into an international break. It might be like the worst two weeks um, on Arsenal Twitter in a long, long time. Yeah. Delete your account at that point. Yeah, everybody should just go on a vacation. Um, I think from from everything right there, just to preserve our our mental health and do everything there. 
that maybe that's maybe those are good words of wisdom to part on is just take care of yourself at this point. <laughs> yeah, we need to get that like better help sponsorship to, you know, be able to really push out uh, this message of uh, better health and, you know, mental health taking care of this. Yes. <laughs> all right. I think that's a, a good spot to leave it. Um, Adam, thank you so much for all of your research and hard work, um, especially into the the guys that do all the, that we're going to match up in the Champions League. Um, really helped yeah. me to, to get up to speed on all those yeah. guys. So if you guys haven't checked that out, I'll make sure to put it in the show notes. Um, it's a, a good one. It's free to read. Um, then also, Adam, you did your uh, stuff on uh, grading the window. Um, I know we, we touched a lot about that here, but there's a lot more further detail in your post. That's a, a premium one. And if you guys want to get into nerdy stuff with me, um, I did look today at um, our, you know, our clean sheet record at home. It's, it's certainly on the outlier side and um, potentially getting into concerning levels of underperformance. Yeah, let's clean that up. And I will, uh, for those of you watching the for new post, I will also probably be doing some additional window reactions. Like, um, you know, I'm thinking about maybe doing something rating the other Premier League clubs, as well as uh, maybe just talking about some of the windows I really like around yeah. Europe and that sort of thing. We'll, we'll have to fill that international break content um, while you know things are not uh, in catastrophic mode. Because I think if we if if we lose, we might have to back everybody off the cliff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, let's just hope we don't because I don't know if I'm ready for that. I've been doing that for two, for a couple of weeks now. Yeah. All right. Um, on that very dour sound <laughs> down note, um, I think that's a good spot to end it. Um, yeah. Hopefully we have a, a good weekend. Um, Adam, enjoy your, your long labor day um, in the U S. Um, if you're not getting a, a long weekend, hopefully it's a, a good, you know, short one. Absolutely. Thanks everyone for listening. I know this was a long show and, uh, thanks as always for supporting the site and the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for listening guys. Cheers y'all.